the first scene sets up the main conflict of the play. Alceste and Philanth, the misanthrope and the philanthrope, are talking about human beings and their interactions and what the French call politesse, you know, the uh, small ways of civilization that allow for tact and good judgment and polite conversation. And uh, that involves a certain degree of self-censorship. One of the more embarrassing things of raising children is that up until, oh, I don't know, six or seven, they don't self-censor. So occasionally when you have guests over, um, they will announce that daddy says you're a real bitch. (laughs) And uh, that's part of the problem. Alceste would say, you know, or uh, yeah, would say, that's what you should, we all be. That's what we should all be because, well, that's honest and we're being sincere and we're being ourselves or authentic or some sort of crap. Philon prefers the white lie. Why? Because that's what makes human interaction in society possible. Um, We can't all be brutally honest. To have our cherished interactions, we have to shade the truth once in a while. And Alceste says that's disgraceful, that's grossly vicious. You stick to the truth and you tell it regardless of the outcome. Shortly thereafter, they're visited by a, uh, an aristocrat named Durant, and he comes bearing his bad amateur poetry. And he first reads it to Philant, who praises it and says it's just wonderful. And then he reads it to Alceste, and Alceste says, Sir, I, I regret I must tell you the truth. This is truly awful. The idea here is, of course, that he's too noble to lie, even for the good purposes of being tactful. Well, Orant, being an aristocrat, takes offense, vows to sue Alceste, and in fact ultimately does sue him and wins, drives Alceste out penniless. Um, The uh, difficulty here is not that telling the truth isn't a good thing, as Immanuel Kant tells us, but in practical fact, not every truth needs to be told in every circumstance. There are an infinite number of true statements one could make, and uh, it's choosing among those statements judiciously that wisdom at least partially emerges. So uh, Alceste is truthful, and in some respects virtuous, but he's not wise which means that it's an incomplete sort of version. Philanth, on the other hand, says, look, we're all messed up. We all want to be lied to. Not one of us is fundamentally truthful, and not one of us could cope with the truth if we were told it. Uh, He understands human limitations and is resigned to a certain degree of tactful dissimulation to make society go, remember, that Moliere and his company work for the King of France at Versailles. And this is one of the most complex and studied and artificial environments you could possibly imagine. So there's no doubt that it takes a very heavy dose of uh, rhetorical grease to make all those gears move. 
So, yeah, there's a lot of posturing, a lot of pretending. And uh, it turns out that uh, the distinction between Alceste and uh, uh, Philanth corresponds to a tradition of satire, Roman satire, uh, Horace, it's kind of the kind, inclusive kind, and juvenile, the nasty kind. And here what Moliere is asking is, should my art be the kind, be, be the benevolent, kindly comedy, or the uh, flagellant, punishing comedy? And he says, what he goes is, much as I would like to wail on everybody, that's a mistake, it's bad judgment. Instead, I'm going to write clever little Horatian, inclusive comedies like this, kindly, witty comedies, and in the audience, you've got to remember that he's playing at Versailles for an audience composed of king of the king and his court and all the aristocratic lords and ladies. At least a quarter or a third of them are having their friends dig them in the ribs saying, look, Moliere's talking about you, you nitwit. I told you not to bring him that terrible poetry. And of course, because Moliere is a famous man of letters, Lots of aristocrats drop in and they ask, would you say my poetry is extraordinarily good or outstandingly excellent? And there's really no way you could say this is awful. That's what Alceste wants to say and society would collapse then. So in order to get along, um, hired guns like Moliere tell aristocrats that their poetry is great. And the, aristoc the aristocrats all get together at the king's table and laugh at his jokes because all the king's jokes are funny. <laughs> and that's what makes Versailles go. And also, that's what makes the world go. We can only take a so... We, we human beings are only capable of absorbing so much truth. So, uh, Moliere is saying, look, I understand the desire to lash out in comedy. But the problem is, that's inhuman. It's just not consistent with what, with our social nature. So get used to it. You know, we're all li liars. And there's a great a song by B.B. King. Everybody lies a little sometimes. <laughs> and the great blues singer is right. <laughs> and he makes a whole list of uh, uh, circumstances in which it turns out, yeah, it's probably the smart thing to do. Uh, Moliere is endorsing it, not because he wants to be a kind of inverted Kantian where he tells lies all the time. He just says, look, get over your need for absolute rules and all the rest of that jazz. Um, neither Immanuel Kant nor Alceste are humorous people. Right? Both are terribly serious, but what Moliere is saying is that your strict rules need good judgment for when and how to deploy them. And you guys lack that. You just plug and chug with the rules, and that's going to make a mess of the world. That's why uh, Philanth marries uh, Eliant, the would-be wife of Alceste at the end. Why? Because in a comedy, the hero gets married, and the real hero of the misanthrope is Philanth, because his outlook is the one that's vindicated. And the last line is telling Philanth says to his betrothed Eliant uh, about Alceste, who has now moved to the wilderness and is living in a cave like a bear, um, we must go and help this unfortunate man.
And remember that the traditional justification of comedy, at least in Christian cultures, was that it holds vice up to ridicule. And people can take lots of condemnation, but very few people can tolerate being laughed at, which is what makes comedy educative. Yeah, there was an excellent um, sort of expose in the middle of this. I think it was probably um, like Act 4 when Alsace's potential betrothed, not the one that... Sullivan. Was that the, yeah, Sullivan was um, being presented with all the letters from her various <laughs> lovers where she's talking shit about every single one of them. Um, a writer once said that if everybody knew what everybody else said about them, yeah. there wouldn't be half a dozen friends in the world. All right? And that's true not just for everybody else. It's true for us, too. All right? We also carry on like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I found, of course, that a lovely... And it's one of the, the great scenes in French literature, but even more powerful, as far as I can... Or at least for me, anyway, is earlier in Act 3, when the old lady, Arsinoe, who has a crush on Alceste, confronts Selimène and says in the most bitchy, nasty way that I'm a great friend of yours and I've always defended your character, but let me tell you what people have been saying about you, you whore. <laughs> and then Selimène is not going to take that. He said, have you noticed that people used to say that about you about 20, 25 years ago? But now you're old and decrepit, and so you've decided to turn yourself into a scold and into the last relic of old decency. Now, of course, I don't believe that, but, you know, there are a lot of people that say that, and you know why they say it? It's because the way you act could easily give them that idea. I mean, it is a catfight of monumental proportions. Now, here's my guess. I don't know this is true, but I want to guess that this is a portrait from life, that this is the kind of nastiness that goes on between Moliere's wife and Moliere's mistress, both of whom are members of this comedy troupe. (laughs) And uh, no doubt they have at each other in vicious ways. And uh, that kind of, how can I put it? They're beating each other up fiercely, but in uh, using (laughs) velvet-covered instruments. Uh, It's so gorgeous, and it's so characteristically French. It's so delicate and subtle. It's like, God, that's the softest sledgehammer I've ever seen. Exactly right. Yeah, that's it, sweetie. She, I mean, that is a series of soft sledgehammers, and they are letting it go. And to my mind, that's one of the great uh, uh, scenes in world literature. All right? But then afterward, of course, she goes to, uh, uh, to Alceste and says, I love you, and I respect you, and I'd like to be your wife. And Alceste... And what I like about you is that you always tell the truth. And Alcestis says, says, well, the truth is um, I have no attraction for you at all. I wish you would go away. And, of course, she's miffed. But, again, what she likes is the fact that he's honest to everyone. Nobody likes the fact that he's honest to everyone except perhaps him. All right? He gets off on the self-righteousness of it. But even he, even Alcest, later on in the play, is going to say to Selimant after she loses all these other guys, Lie to me. Tell me that you love me. And when he breaks down and does that, he fails to recognize that he's as bad as everybody else. And that's the uh, kind of equalizing insight. Um, We're all a mess. And comedy at its best can instruct us in uh, how, how vigorous our vices can be 
and how easy it is to mistake vice for virtue.